Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Finding History. I'm your host, Victoria, and I want to wish you all a happy October. This happens to be one of my favorite months, if not the most favorite month, because your girl here is a spooky bitch. I watch horror movies year-round, but as soon as it becomes colder and darker, I watch them almost every day. I'm the kind of person who starts to crave iced chai and sweaters in August, when it's still 90 plus degrees and the sun doesn't set until 9. The summer was still a stressful time uh, because of the pandemic and the fires that raged uh, across the West Coast, which I live in. And let me tell you, Living Under Smoke was a horror movie in itself. Still, prior to the smoke, I enjoyed sunlit sky hikes and not wearing pants, which is always fun. But I'm not a summer girl. Now this episode, I would like to talk about something um, kind of like a different kind of horror. I'm talking about the horrors of mental illness. I'm someone who suffers from depression and anxiety and has almost or has pretty much been affected my entire life. Some days are great and other days are really tough, uh, but it's something I will struggle with for the rest of my life until there's some magic cure of depression. But, um, however, I am fortunate enough to have people in my life that care for me and vice versa. There is also social media, which despite certain aspects of it can be incredibly helpful with reaching out to folks, uh, with a similar experience. Uh, but I also have access to therapy and medication for the men I'm going to discuss today. They really weren't so lucky. In spite of being men of power, they were still a victim of their own illnesses, one of which caused political strife among cousins, resulting in the Cousins' War, which led to the downfall, or to his downfall, and his eventual murder. The two men I will discuss are Henry VI of England and his grandfather, Charles VI of France. It is assumed by historians that Henry VI likely inherited his mental illness from his grandfather, Charles. His mother was Catherine of Valois and the youngest daughter of Charles, and his father was the infamous Henry V, the guy who won the Battle of Agincourt, in which decreed that his heirs had claim to both the English and French court. Charles VI was said to have had a long history of mental illness in his family that passed many generations. I could only find mention of mental illness on Charles's mother's side of the family, Joanna of the House of Bourbon. Not to say his paternal side did not have issues, but I, at least in my research, found no mention. Uh, the furthest back I could find of mention of illness was back to his great-grandfather, in which all family members were described as having long periods of mental breakdowns. However, I have no doubt that this sort of instability goes beyond just his great-grandfather. I did a bit more digging, and both Charles VI and Henry VI are descended from Louis IX of France, who was the only French king who was canonized, meaning that he was made a saint. I have some beef with the idea of kings or queens uh, being made saints, as I feel that that ties in with the equally corrupt power connections of both church and royalty, but that's a whole other story. Um, however, I have reason to believe that Saint Louis was also mentally unstable, he was very devout to the point of wearing a hair shirt and showing a huge interest in being whipped as a form of penance. He also lost his father at a young age and upon his father's death, his own mother said to him, oh, and keep in mind, Louis the 12th is uh, 12 years old when she said this to him. She said, 
I love you, my dear son, as much as a mother can love her child, but I would rather see you dead at my feet than that you should ever commit a mortal sin. Now maybe, just maybe, this isn't a sign that he would be dis he would be destined to have a mental illness, but no one can deny that hearing that would shape a person and possibly just shape any generation to follow. It's also sad to witness this sort of inherited violence and trauma, but as the French say, c'est la vie. Charles VI was known as either Charles the Mad or Charles the Beloved, depending on who you asked. He started to exhibit signs of psychosis in his early 20s. Charles' first recorded episode occurred in 1392, when his friend Oliver de Clisson was a victim of an attempted murder. His friend survived, but Charles was determined to punish the potential assassin. Contemporaries said Charles appeared to be in a fever to begin his quest for vengeance and was disconnected in his speech. On his way to oust the would-be assassin, whose name was Pierre de Crown, the progress of the army was slow, which caused Charles to be agitated. It was a very hot day when on progression. A page became drowsy from the sun and dropped the king's lance, which clanged loudly against a steel helmet carried by another page. Charles shuddered, drew his sword, and yelled, "'Forward against the traitors! They wish to deliver me to the enemy!' The king spurred his horse and began swinging his sword at his companions, fighting until one of his chamberlains and a group of soldiers were able to grab him from his mount and lay him to the ground. He lay still and did not react, but fell into a coma. The king had killed several men in his jolted frenzy. During one episode in 1393, Charles could not remember his name and did not know why he was king. When his wife came to visit him, he asked his servants who she was and ordered them to take care of whatever she needed so that she would leave him alone. More episodes followed of him forgetting who he was, who his wife was, and also even forgetting who his children were. In 1395, he claimed he was St. George. Sometimes he would run wild in his castles. It was after guards found Charles naked and afraid in the palace gardens that entrances would have to be blocked to prevent him from escaping. In 1405, he refused to bathe or change his clothes for five months. Now, I've heard of other French kings who boast about how they, they never bathed and no one claimed that they were out of their mind. But since Charles had a record of mishaps, I guess one can assume this was due to his mental state. But oh, mon dieu, I know personally that a bad depressive episode can leave one unable to do basic things such as bathing, changing, or even feeding oneself. Later on, Charles thought he was made of glass, and thus tried to protect himself in various ways so that he would not break. He had iron rods sewn into his clothes so that he would not shatter if he came into contact with another person. This condition does have a name of glass delusion, which is an external manifestation of a psychiatric disorder and was a term used from the late Middle Ages to the 17th century. It was believed by modern scholars that the term was associated with melancholy. There are similar cases amongst depressed people in history where they felt their head would fall from their body or even that frogs lived in their bellies. 
Now, I'm not a shrink, and I'm not super experienced in mental disorders, but to me, it does sound like an extreme form of depression, and these are also forms of um, anxiety as well, the frogs in the bellies. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but I know when I become extremely nervous, extremely anxious, it feels like something's kind of moving around in there, so... Uh, so that I can totally relate to that, but, um, any sufferer of depression knows, uh, this sort of feeling of like weakness or fatigue. And in Charles case, it was an extreme form, um, that like his grandson, he would also experience something very similar. This also kind of reminds me of, uh, this movie that came out almost, gosh, almost 10 years ago, uh, Melancholia which is essentially about the end of the world. And it kind of mirrors with um, Kirsten Dunst's own depression. Uh, but in that, there's like one scene in particular I'm thinking of where uh, her sister is trying to help Kirsten Dunst into the bathtub and Kirsten can't do it. She can't bring herself to even take a bath or to even like lift her head or lift her limbs. And instead she's kind of just like groaning. Um, and I mean... Sometimes depression does feel like that, and in extreme forms, it's very likely that that's what they both had. Henry VI became king of England and France when he was just nine months old. His father, Henry V, had died of what used to be assumed was dysentery, but was likely heat stroke, as he had been riding in full armor in the sweltering heat for days. His mother, Catherine of Valois, was left widowed at twenty, and the English nobles kept a very creepy eye on her to make sure she did not have total control in how her son was raised. Nevertheless, Catherine is said to have doted on Henry and remained close with her son. That was until she began a sexual relationship with Owen Tudor some years later, who was employed in the Queen's household. This union resulted in three children, one of whom would begin the Tudor dynasty. Henry was described as gentle, devout, and a kindly man. He did not enjoy wearing fine clothing um, that was expected of a king. Instead, he dressed simply, like a farmer. Unlike his military daddy, Henry possessed a strong aversion to violence and was obsessively devoted to religion. Sounds a little like great-granddaddy St. Louis. He sought to cherish a love for religion and others. He would exhort his visitors, particularly the young, to pursue virtue and to cast out evil. He considered sports and the pleasures of the world frivolous and devoted his leisure to reading scriptures. Most decorous himself, when attending public worship, he obliged his courtiers to enter the sacred edifice without swords or spears and to refrain from interrupting the devotion of others by conversing within its precincts. Henry was said to have been kind to the poor and lived among his dependents. His grandfather Charles was also said to have been kind to commoners and was described as being a thoughtful leader in the beginning of his reign. One day while passing St. Albans and Cripplegate, which I assume are towns in medieval England, Henry saw a quarter of a man impaled there for treason. Hanging, drawing, and quartering was a beloved method of execution amongst the English, and there would be bits of folks throughout the land. Henry became so shocked at the sight of the quartered man that he exclaimed, Take it away, take it away. 
I will have no man so cruelly treated for my account. Henry was terrified of nudity, and upon entering a public male bathhouse, he became greatly displeased and ran away. He considered nudity a great offense. He often told young women to not give in to the temptation of showing off their necks and to always make sure their hair was covered. Some historians would argue that this discomfort with male nudity might have alluded to Henry being gay and being deeply, um, sorry, and being a deeply religious person, he would become terrified at the presence of a male body, tempting him from Christ. I can't say if this is true or not, but it's plausible for sure. However, this is, um, this discomfort with nudity and the general human form would lead him to having to hire sex attendants. Henry married Margaret of Anjou, a young French princess who was said to be lovely and fiery. She would later be described, as other French queens before her, as a she-wolf. Margaret and Henry had a difficult time conceiving, and this was in large part to the fact that Henry considered sex sinful. Margaret believed the problem was her, and she fasted quite a bit, which no doubt played a role in her psyche and likely caused uh, damage internally. This was pretty common with medieval queens to begin fasting in order to conceive. This was because women were often blamed and shamed into being into not being able to conceive. They therefore sought penance for their sins by fa by fasting. Even today, a woman is still blamed for just about anything involving reproduction and sex. Records show in the Ryla Boke of Court Protocol that Henry VI requested the king's chamberlain, or a squire, for the body should come for the queen, and with her two gentlewomen, and an usher, another witness describing when the king and the queen lie together in the same chamber. Now, these accounts do not make it clear at what point the attendants left, uh, leaving this open to the suggestion that they remained present to make sure the marriage bed was being properly used. I personally believe that they did act as a sort of sex instructors um, for the royal couple. Likely, it began when the king refused to sleep with his wife and various witnesses were provided to ensure something did happen. It was encouraged even in a consummated marriages that couples remain chaste and only engage in sex with the intention of conceiving. Sex was still considered a sin between married couples. This also just sounds low-key terrifying. Clearly, Henry did not want to have sex, and I would bet Margaret didn't either, but it was their inherited and enforced responsibility of being state leaders that led them uh, to the same bed. Who knows what was involved? Was Margaret held down? Was Henry held down and Margaret was told to get on top? Uh, no doubt someone had to touch Henry against, against his will to rouse his desires. Uh, this whole thing just sounds very Handmaid's Tale to me and very uncomfortable. Eventually, the couple did conceive, though rumors swirled about how the child may or may not be Henry's. Political unrest grew like wildfire in the court of Henry VI. People undermined his masculinity due to his inability to produce an heir, but I also believe it was because, unlike most kings, 
Henry was likely a virgin until marriage and didn't keep a mistress. This, therefore, undermined his authority as well. The nobles viewed the king as weak and unstable. During Margaret's pregnancy, Henry lost control of lands of France, the same lands his father fought so valiantly to occupy for England, Henry had lost. This likely resulted in Henry falling into a deep catatonic state. Around early August of 1453, a malady struck Henry. It did not appear to be a physical disease that his attendants could recognize, but rather a mental breakdown that robbed him of the awareness of his surroundings and of the power of his limbs. He became unresponsive to the world and would be known as the Shadow King. His household tried to keep the matter as quiet as they could in hopes that he would break from this state of being, uh, but it quickly became evident that it would not pass. Little did they know his condition would last for a little over a year. His queen Margaret had given birth to a son, and the child was brought to the king in hope that it would rouse him from his depressive state. The king was guarded by two attendants who watched him day and night. They all begged for Henry to recognize the child, but Henry displayed no reaction at all. He merely looked upon the infant prince and then cast his eyes down again without further sign. Okay, now bear with me. I'm probably going to mess up this name, but an abbot by the name of Wethmisteed regarded that Henry was so lacking in understanding and memory and so incapable that he was neither able to walk upon his feet nor lift up his head nor well to move himself from the place where he was seated. Henry was completely withdrawn from the world around him. He had to be fed and bathed. His attendants had to raise him to his feet and guide him from room to room. Many people assume that it was the loss of French lands that caused Henry to fall into a ghost-like state, but there are other things that were building up to it. Henry had lost friends, close confidants to the king. He also had to deal with the tremendous stress of running a country and the pressure from others to continue on with his father's uh, military wars. There was also the impending threat of civil war amongst his cousins, the Yorks, who wished to usurp him and take his crown. The humiliations and fears to which he had been subjected to over the past few years came tumbling down on him like rocks atop a mountain until he could stand it no more and broke down completely. Henry had regained consciousness around Christmas of 1454, though he still struggled with the world around him. He did not recall his wife being pregnant and was surprised by their son. Once loyal nobles had left his side and were favoring the Yorkists. Henry tried to embrace his York cousins and any disgruntled noble by enacting a love day in which all of them would have uh, a ritualistic reconciliation and all fighting would cease. Yeah, the actual day was called Love Day. It's kind of funny. Um, but this event, this sort of ritualistic uh, reconciliation, would be very short-lived. Many battles followed between Yorkists and Lancastrians, which was Henry's royal house, and they continued to follow for many years to come. 
His wife, Margaret, was in command of the armies, as Henry was just merely a figurehead. He is said to have not fought at all, but would laugh, cry, and sing during battles. The Yorks managed to usurp Henry from the throne, and thus begin their short-lived reign, uh, beginning with Edward IV. Henry would spend his remaining years in exile or imprisoned. He served as a puppet monarch for a minute with a brief disposal of Edward, but was then sent to the Tower of London, in which he would be killed. It was rumored for a long time that the former king died of illness or melancholia, but that was not the case. Later examination of his remains showed blood and damage to the skull, implying that he was murdered, very likely by York supporters. We won't ever truly know um, of the mental orders that these men suffered, and we are only left with what we do know, um, which is their symptoms. It is likely that they suffered from a form of schizophrenia or possibly bipolar depression. Encephalitis has been implied, which is uh, a swelling of the brain, but I think it was likely the previous conditions uh, that were mentioned. I do believe the condition was likely hereditary. However, as stated before, his mother Catherine had children with Owen Tudor and thus resulted in the Tudor dynasty. Though all those monarchs were pretty fucked up in their own way, they did not show signs similar to Henry or Charles, but also plenty of Tudor children died before they could even reach adulthood, and that was when both men showed signs of instability, was um, around the time of their 20s. I think that being lost in your own emotions and your own sadness is one of the worst feelings in the world. Depression is isolating. It's lonely, and it has the ability to hold a person captive in their own mind. In medieval Europe, it was not a place of empathy and understanding. Though both men were men of power, they suffered in a world of their ancestors' making, which was inherited violence and dominance over the weak. They were, in the eyes of many, considered weak, and therefore a burden and something to either be exploited or destroyed. I have to wonder how both men's lives would have been different if they were just allowed to live in the way in which made them most comfortable. And I feel like in Henry VI's case, if he was just allowed to be a religious monk, I feel like he would have found a better sense of self and community, even with his um, mental illness, and he wouldn't have suffered as he had suffered um, being king. I'd like to take a moment before ending this episode to say, if you ever feel sad or lonely, or you need to talk to someone because this world is a hostile, violent place, to please reach out to someone, to a friend, a trusted family member, or to seek therapy. There are people who want to help, and there are resources for those in need. In a world that still mirrors the medieval world at times, remember that you matter and that you belong. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Finding History. I am your host, Victoria, and I am here to remind you to wear your mask, wear your sunscreen, and to stay woke.